We've all heard the saying, learn to love the process. But why learn to love something? Why not create a process that is easy to love? Welcome to Peace with the Process, where I bring you professionals who specialize in the processes we incorporate to sustain consistent, healthy growth. I believe in learning from others' mistakes and successes. So I also bring on entrepreneurs who have been in the trenches and tell us how they got there and how they got out. I hope you find something in today's episode that you can apply to your own life and that you find your peace with the process along the way. Let's get started. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Peace with the Process. Maybe you're checking us out for the first time today. I want to thank you so much for coming on and checking out this podcast. I invite you to check out the other episodes that we have with some amazing guests on the show. And I want to thank those of you who have been listeners since day one. You guys have really shown some support for this podcast. And some of you have even taken time out of your day to write a rating and review for the show. I want to thank you so much, as I always do, because that goes a long way to helping people get this podcast in their ears so that they can further find ways to craft and create their process so that they can craft and create their peace with the process as we do and try to do every day here by listening to people's successes, failures, and how they've overcome them, what they're doing today so that they can become better tomorrow. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you our guest, Greg Reed. Now, many of you may have heard me talk about the mastermind I had the opportunity to be a part of with uh, Nick Hutchison and Ryan Mannion over at Book Thinkers. We've had a few other individuals from that mastermind. It was Nick Velasquez and Ryan Perez. Now, Greg Reed is the ringleader of this little mastermind, and he has a lot of things that he has in his tool belt of things that he handles on a day-to-day basis, and I'll let him give you a little bit more insight into what that looks like for him. But I do definitely want to point out that I enjoyed my conversation with Greg. He got me out of my comfort zone a little bit. You'll you'll hear me a little shooken up to try to keep up with Greg's pace. Very fast-paced individual, a very high flame guy. He is on the go, on the move, and he does not operate uh, at a foundational level. He has built his foundation, and he is now operating as an, at an optimal level. I enjoyed our conversation. I enjoyed his intentional way of getting me out of my comfort zone because it's opened my eyes to areas of my life that I can stop being foundational and I can start being optimal in. I think that's a lot of what Peace with the Process is about. So without further ado, I introduce to you Mr. Greg Reed. Mr. Greg Reed, how are you, sir? Okay, I can learn that you got a kid. (laughs) I'm in the middle of moving. In the middle of moving, exactly. Are you being held ransom? Right. Twice. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Almost nothing on the walls and just a bunch of stuff sitting in the middle of the floor. I would I would suspect the same. There you go. Let's rock and roll. Absolutely, man. We're just jumping right into it. I enjoy a little bit of the uh, introductory phase here. So just to get things started off. Let's start with your origin story, how you became the man that you are today uh, and, you know, and what you do today. Well, first of all, I'm probably the least qualified guy to do what I do. I'm dyslexic. I can't really spell very good and I don't read a lot yet. I'm a world renowned author. And so the reason I believe that things came my direction is I work my strengths and hire my weaknesses. So I'm a good orator. So I got great ghostwriters and editors to take my words 
craft them in a way people would want to read it, thank goodness that people enjoyed it and went on to become a global success. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when was it that you decided that writing was what you were going to start doing? Well, actually, I, I never was. It was one of those bucket list type of items. And I remember I was speaking at a university after I sold my first business for a good old chunk. And a kid came up to me and says, man, you should write a book. And I go, that's a great goal. I've never really read a book. <laughs> go, I've been very fortunate where I went to the seminars and listened to the tapes. But like I said, I wasn't a great reader. So I sat down and I, I did my first query letter. It says, who you are, what's your message? Why are you an expert? Who's going to read your book? Mm. I was turned down by 268 publishers in a row. These are all my rejection letters of every person telling me why I'll never be an author. You keep and, that right there next to your desk. Yeah. And the 269th one said, we'll do your book, but change the title, beginning, middle, and end. And it went on to become a, uh, uh, you know, pretty big success. So much so that one quote from that one book was shared 37 million times last year alone. And the moral is just never let another person tell you what you can and cannot do. Wow. No, I love that. Absolutely love that. Let's talk a little bit about the concept of you beginning most of your learning in uh, seminars, in videos and stuff like that. So tell us about why that attracted you. Why was that such a, um, a foundation for you really getting into the business that you had? You sold the business and then sprouting into the books. Yeah, well, there was no videos 20 years ago. Yeah, there was no <laughs> thing as YouTube or any of that stuff. Yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, it's like anyone else. You take those little mantras of, if you think you can, you think you can't, you're right, and all those bumper stickers. And the only difference is when I ran companies, I would put those on banners all around the office for the sales team. And it was the mantra in which we lived our life by. And so I always was looking at the possibilities of what can be, not just what you saw on the surface. And I think that that translated in my professional life where I got to do that for a living now and travel the world and inspire people. It's pretty neat. That's really cool. And so being somebody who originally started a majority of your learning through uh, the seminars and things like that, do you, is there anything that you provide in those in-person opportunities that you're not providing uh, to people in the book formats? Yeah, it's just different because you can touch it, feel it, and you get this one-on-one -on -one conversation. So for example, I've got a mastermind that comes to my house, you know, once or twice a year. I do this event called Secret Knockers here over my shoulder, uh, mm -hmm. Forbes, Inc. Entrepreneurs Top Big event in the world. And the way we did it is I got so frustrated watching all these Instagram people, you know, tell you how great they were, yet they haven't done anything. So I said, what if we did an event where if you want to start a clothing line, you can hang out with the founder of Ugg Boots, a billion dollar brand. Or if you have an invention, here's a guy who made that magnetic strip on the back of a credit card. Or if you have an idea for a board game, here's a guy who did Pictionary. What would it be like to actually have tacos and hang out with the people who have accomplished which other people did? So I believe that that's the future of the seminar industry. It's not these wannabe people. It's going to be the people who have actually accomplished what they're speaking about. And then you're having all of them be in a collaborative setting so that they can network. That's what you envision for the seminars, not just sit, watch some, watch one person speak, but be heavily involved in developing relationships in the process. Yeah, it's all about engagement, right? So I own mastermindgroup.com. I believe in the power of mastermind group. Mastermind group is not sitting in a semicircle in your living room selling you shit. That's not what it is. It's, that's a little mini uh, cell fest. What I believe is in the power of association and communication. So we take a, what's called an opportunity chair, sit you in front of it and you say, hey, my name's Bob, I'm a pet groomer, I'm working on this, I'm having some challenges, what do you think? 
And then people ask something called clarifying questions. Look, I don't go to a doctor's office and say, hey, doc, give me drugs. He's gonna ask you a question or two, right? So it's the same thing in business. So people ask clarifying questions to see what you've done or what you have experimented with. And then they offer feedback from a, you know, uh, an experience standpoint of counsel rather than people's opinion. And I think that's the future, like I'm saying, what people are looking for. And I, I like the choice of words that you chose there, the word counsel, uh, which infers that we're receiving advice and information and perspectives from more than one individual. It's not just one man up on stage giving advice to thousands of people, but it's, you know, people able to take, you know, basically what I, a term I like to use, which is uh, chew up the meat and spit out the bones from several different individuals. Is that is that kind of the direction that you're talking about? Yeah, I call it hand in the sand. What that mm. means is that if you grab a handful of sand and someone says, hey, you should do this. If it works for you, keep it. If not, you'll say thank you and let it slip through your finger. You don't yeah but them. You just go, okay, thank you very much. And as you close your hand, that becomes your program that works for you. So I believe in getting information from many people. But I'll go back to what I really was saying. Successful people seek counsel and failures. Failures listen to opinion. What's the difference? Opinions based on ignorance, lack of knowledge, inexperience. Like every one of your family, friends, and barbecue people that will tell you everything won't happen because they've never done it. Counsel is based on wisdom, knowledge, mentorship. If I went to a family friend and say I'm going to write a best-selling book, they're going to talk me out of it because I'm dyslexic and they've never written a best-selling book. I didn't do that. I went to Jack Canfield who wrote Chicken Soup and said, how does this work? He said, here's the blueprint. I sought counsel. If we would spend our activity only seeking and listening to people that have already accomplished it and stop listening to your opinions, that's the day your life would change. I like that. So one thing that I want to ask you about, and I think this will help give some insights for listeners who want to know kind of what the day in the life is like for uh, these high performance individuals, such as yourself, you have secret knot going on, and you're also an author. I think a lot of times authors can get this uh, perspective from the audience that just that, that see authors as writers, people who spend time alone in a cabin writing their thoughts and they're developing their philosophy or they're doing research. And But you're a very, very high-paced guy through our uh, interactions with each other and uh, very, very time-oriented. You have blocks. You have things that are constantly going on. You're ready to get moving and move on to the next thing. Tell us a little bit about what are some other things that you have your hands in as well, you know, in addition to Secret Knock as well as the writing that you do? Uh, and then, you know, kind of how you structure your day to, to be able to have all of that taken care of, to be able to move through your day swiftly and effectively? Yeah, those are, I think, eight questions you just threw out there in one. So I'm going to go down the list. One, of, one, I don't write anything. I just got done saying it. You work your strengths and you hire your weaknesses. Mm. So I have amazing ghostwriters and editors that take my gift of gab and craft them and it'll way people to want to read it. If not, I'm just going to have rejection letters. So I understood the power of that. Door number two. Uh, actually, I make movies. So my movie's on Netflix right now. We we're up for the Oscar last year. Uh, and I'm making another film next week. And then I'm working on two TV uh, shows at the same time. In the meantime, running a publishing company while promoting books, while doing events, while doing things, while doing things. And the way that you do that is that you multitask, but you do it with singular focus. So what that means is when I, I call it hats. So for example, I go like this with a hat. I go, right, sit down with my team. So let's talk about Secret Knock coming up. Okay, here's what we're going to do, da, 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 and we dedicate six minutes. That's it, six minutes ago. This is what we're going to do, and everyone's got their thing. And then we go, all right, publishing. Let's talk about this. We got this book, this book, this is their thing. All right, let's talk about this. Here's where we'll be filming. And by having that singular focus, you can multitask and do many things. I like that. So is it, do you find, 
in a group setting, do you find it difficult to get everybody on the same page within a six minute window? I never have, but again, I surround myself with people that are high achievers that I can delegate what needs to be done and I can let it go and not worry about it because I know it'll be accomplished. I like that. Tell us about the, uh, the first business that you had and the one that you sold that led you to uh, the writing of your first book. Well, the first business I had is what I got in trouble for that I wrote in the first book I did called The Millionaire Mentor. You see, I wanted to have stuff as a kid, but I couldn't get a job. I was too young. So what I did is I borrowed the uh, you know family lawnmower and I went neighbor to neighbor and got $10 each to mow the lawn. And then I hired all the kids in the neighborhood for five bucks to mow the lawn for me. So I made the spread. And again, I got in trouble for taking advantage of the kids, but today I'm rewarded and get all the trophies for doing the same exact thing in business. So go figure, right? And then I got into advertising. So from age 20 to 40, I only did one job, uh, promotional advertising sales. And then I grew that company and sold it and got into this industry. That's awesome. So what were, what was one of the biggest setbacks that you had during that, during that process? I don't understand the question. No, that's fine. We can just uh, generalize it Uh, up to today. What has been one of your biggest uh, failures that you've had to learn from? Yeah, I've had a lot of failures. I've had a lot of non-successes, but I don't think I've had much failure. Uh, I think things, it's all a perspective of how you look at it. Plus I don't dwell on it. So like, that's why it's confusing to me. I I spend zero time focusing on the past. I I just focus on what's coming next. Look, I'm putting out five, six books a year, shows, things. I have no time to talk about what didn't work four years ago that one time and that has no interest in me. So what I'm always doing is looking ahead. Like in football, a quarterback never throws a football where a wide receiver standing. They throw it downfield and let you run to it. So I'm constantly right now, you know, chucking that stuff, Hail Marys, knowing that all I need is one of them and I get to win the game. I got you. So what's your method of continuing to get better day by day by day by day if it's not uh, looking at what you have done that you can get better, but more so looking toward what's the next thing to move toward to? Yeah, I just do things that interest me. What a concept, right? Look, I'm not a passion guy. I don't believe in passion. I don't, I think that's a, a fool's game. People that follow their passion usually end up failing. And the reason is, is that they get so caught up in it, they can't see reality outside it. So mm. I look for and capitalize an unexpected opportunity. That's what I do is I don't get caught up on the how or the, you know, the situation. I just sit there and say, all right, I want to do this. Now, who's already accomplished it? When I wanted to make a movie again, I said, all right, well, who's won an Oscar? Who has a TV network? And I reached out to those people with specificity and said, look, I need 12.5 minutes of your time, cover all my costs to get to you. I'm going to sit down and ask you one simple question. I need a single tip that I can do to move the needle forward on this project. That's it. And that's what I did. And that's how I got access. Look, no one wants their brain picked. They don't want to go to lunch with you. They don't want to have dinner. They don't have coffee. So specificity rules the day. So I'm very specific in my ask. And that's like you said earlier, how I'm specific with the time that I give is because I want to make sure we're following this the same way I treat people as I want to be treated. Right. No, that makes absolute sense. And so tell us a little bit about some of the things that you do have planned that you're building things up for some of the things that you're finding yourself having to uh, adjust and make room for. I, I don't have that one. So I, I looked, I'm so blessed, buddy. I, I live the life that I designed. So, I mean, I don't have one of those stories. All I know is every day I wake up, I don't set an alarm. 
I get to create and design and build and inspire. Look, someone asked me the other day, you know, I did my first couple of live speaking gigs last week because everything's opening up again. And they go, are you going to retire? I go, well, name another job. I get a show up. They treat you like a royalty. You walk out. Everyone applauds. When you're done, they stand on their feet, tell you how great they are and give you a wheelbarrow for of money. What am I going to do? I mean, what I've created the most perfect ideal life that I could imagine as a child. So right now I get to enjoy it and actually appreciate the blessings that are coming my way. I like that. What's your concept of the uh, ideal day? I hear a lot of people talk about creating that ideal day and you use a similar term where you've crafted and created this ideal lifestyle. Is there some day-to-day items that you've included in there that you've just looked at as a kid that you've thought, man, this is what that's going to look like. This is what that's going to consist of. What did that end up looking like for you? Well, it still is. It's game day. So every single day, in fact, right before here, I spent the last 20 minutes out in the front yard throwing footballs. And then we're going to shoot some pool. Then after that, we'll play some ping pong. Then after that, the thing. So every single day, I play at least 10 games uh, with guests that come in. And the reason why I do that is there's a philosophy behind there. How you play games is how you play life. So if you ever come to my home office, the first thing I'm going to do is put a ball in your hand because I'm going to see how you're going to react. If you're wearing a suit, are you going to be uncomfortable to go in the street and throw it around? Door number two, if we play a little pool, are you going to pay your bet if you lose? Um, Are you going to complain and gripe if something doesn't go in or go your direction? Are you going to cheat, God forbid? And I can tell in 15 minutes exactly who you are. So that way I can see if that's something I want to move forward with. And more importantly, if you've got the personality that can handle it. I got you. So there's definitely is this, um, how would I state it? I would say that it's a... It's a characteristic of you. You 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 look at people and you do sort of a, an analysis of them. You're able to pull out certain things that may, they may not even notice themselves, but then you also look for ways to bring those things out in people if the initial contact hasn't happened already. Explain to us a little bit behind why you do that and how that plays into your day-to-day interactions with people. Because everyone shows up as their best self. They're not who they are. So what I'd like to do is if you're on a bicycle, I want to put a stick in the wheel so see how you're going to handle when you get up after that fall. Because that's what I'm going to be dealing with, right? Because look, like you said earlier, things are not going to always go perfectly. How are you going to handle that? Who's going to be on your side? Who's how, Look, we learn more about someone's character on their one bad day or their bad moment than all their good days put together. It's easy to be happy-go-lucky when things go your direction. But when things hit the fan, that's who someone shows up as their true character. So I'm very careful of the people I surround myself with on a personal or day-to-day level because I have this philosophy. It's real simple. It's not nice, but it's real simple. If it feeds you, feed it some more. And if it eats, kill it. Mm. Feeds you, feed it some more. If it eats, kill it. And what happens is so many people come up and they go, oh, and they tell me all the stuff of people that eat that just drain them. It's your fault. I don't want to hear that crap. It's on you. If you, you choose to tell your garbage to someone or listen to their stuff and, and be you know brain dumped on, that's your decision. On the same note, if something feeds you mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, then feed it some more. And so I'll give you an example. If I came into your house and I went to your, your wife and I had a trash bag full of dirty diapers, rotten cheese, and I started dumping in the living room, what's the first thing your wife is going to say? <laughs> She's going to say it's uh, already one-tenth of that way with the dirty diapers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, chances are the average person says, stop, get that out of here. What are you doing? 
get get out of my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, for some reason, open our head and let people do this shit all day, and we just sit there and take it, and not me. So again, as soon as someone starts that, I stop, redirect, and I make sure that I don't put those type of thoughts in my brain because that's not where I'm going. How have you found your ability to navigate those relationships, especially with people who knew you before you adapted that way of thinking? I think I've constantly, or I've similarly found instances where there's people in our lives that maybe we're just not willing to let go of. Maybe it's a relative, maybe it's someone, a very, very close loved one. And we want to try to train them in that direction. What's your advice to somebody who's going through something like that? Don't train them. No one wants to be changed. Stop it. It's your fault. Stop bitching about it. Number one. Door number two, I got amazing friends that I went to high school with and I go play poker and go golf with, but I don't talk to them about my next movie or the book or the thing. They don't understand. It's irresponsible irresponsible for us to put our projection goals on people that don't get it because one it's only going to frustrate them two they're going to want to pull you down because they don't want to lose you three they can't give you any counsel they can only give you opinion and four it's not helping you grow either so all we have to do is surround ourselves with people who are already accomplishing what we want when i went to africa to climb mount kilimanjaro I didn't ask all my dope smoking surfer buddies here in La Jolla to take me to the roof of Africa. I found the Sherpa that I climbed it 900 times. Wherever they put a blueprint, I put a blueprint. Follow successful actions. That's the secret of success. I like that a lot. So in the practical sense, if I'm not going to go out and climb Mount Kilimanjaro and find a Sherpa, what are some ways that we can start to find people who uh, are above us that we can start surrounding ourselves with? Well, you already know who they are. I don't understand the question. What do you mean? You mean, how do you reach out to them? Uh, I suppose so. Let's talk. Let's let's look in terms of, uh, yeah, I guess, where do we find them? Let's put it that way. It's, it's like, I almost feel like you're like, this is like 10101 type stuff. I don't, look, if I wanted to write a book, I'd go to the bookstore. What are you talking about? And I'd go to the best-selling book section and I'd call those people up and say, hey, how do you do it? If I was an artist, I'd sit outside an art gallery. I'd see who's pulling art off the walls. And I go to that person and say, how does this work? If I was going to be a plumber, I'd go to the biggest plumbing things you see on the freeway. I'd call that guy up and say, hey, how do you do it? It's simple. Find someone who's getting the results that you want and then ask that person for guidance. The most successful people are also the most available people. If you're brand new, you're happy-go-lucky, you're cool. If you're at the top, happy-go-lucky, not, nothing to prove. In the middle, pain in the neck. You're filled with ego. You're edging God out. Jump to the front of the line. Trust me, it's easier to get to the founder of Remax Real Estate, multi-trillion dollar corporation than your local Remax president down the street, right? So the whole idea is literally as a kid, you got in trouble for cutting line. And today in life and society, I recommend you do just that. And by cutting in line, you're talking about just making the reach that whether that's you know, scouring the internet for a phone number for the individual that we're trying to get a hold of, figuring out ways to get past uh, the assistance and things like that to get in front of those individuals and not just thinking that they are a brick wall or that they have brick walls around them. Yeah, again, that, that's old school. I mean, what you're talking about is from 1995, I, I guess so. But today's world, I don't know what you're talking about. I really don't. I, I try I try to get it, but I don't get it because in today's society, there's something called the... Uh, you know, Instagram, there's something called Twitter, it's uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, they're all there. And so I don't go through what you just said anymore. I did back in the old days, but today I just DM people. And, right. and you'd be shocked and amazed how you bypass everyone because they answer their own stuff. And again, the most successful people are most available. Here's how you do it though. I'm gonna give you guys a secret. 
festivity. This is the key. Again, no one wants to go to lunch, have dinner thing. So if I reach out to someone and I'm working on a new book called, I don't know, make it up here, Three Feet from Gold, I would sit there and reach out to Elon Musk or Joe Blow and I'd DM them and say, listen, I'm working on a new book. It's called Three Feet from Gold about not giving up before the miracle happens. I need 12.5 minutes of your time. I'll cover all of my own costs and expenses to see you. From the moment I walk in the door till I leave will be 12 and a half minutes. I'm going to ask you one question, why you didn't give up. That's it. The chance of them coming from their break room to do that is so high because it's very specific and they can plan their day accordingly. So that really is a secret. You don't have to go through the old school way of doing it and you know Google, um, just go directly to the people. And if you reach out to 10 leaders in your chosen field, I guarantee at least one will get back to you. Okay. I like that. And yeah, of course, Instagram, that's worked for me different ways and things like that. That's how I got linked up uh, with mutual friend of ours uh, in Bookmakers. Isn't that funny? That's yeah. the way it works, right? You just jump to the front of the line. That's how they got me. That's how they got John Gray. That's how they got the founder of Ugg Boots. That's a, think about the people that we're interviewing. What's the common denominator? They all came and connected. So you talk about specificity. And when you say that and you talk about the time limit, you know, we're talking about only spending five minutes with an individual. What is your combatant to, I often hear the concept of trying to develop relationships with these people. And when I think of developing relationships, I think of sitting down and getting to know one person, but you say quite the opposite. Nobody wants to go through, where'd you go to school? How'd you grow up? That whole process. And so it, it contradicts some things that I've heard. What's your reasoning behind choosing your method over the, uh, the relationship building method? It's just my style like i'm a no bs cut to the chase guy and people like it or they don't and i understand but that is who i am you've been on the book thinker calls you've been on some of this mastermind stuff right and when i'm doing it do i not keep it to exactly 17.5 do i not keep right because i just live the message that i'm teaching what a concept right and, you know it's it's like one of these things if i get off stage and there's 10,000 people and there's a line of folks wanting to meet you and take pictures it's awesome and they say the nicest things. How can I work with you? How can I be of contribution? How can I, I don't have 30 minutes to do a resume, but if you mm. come up and say, dude, saw your Instagram, you got a million followers. I make really cool memes. Let me send you one. If you like it, you'll use it. Eight seconds. I know who you are, what you do. You have my cell phone. We're in contact. See the difference. Yeah. That's where society is moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of like the, uh, the pitch situation, when we're talking about surrounding ourselves with individuals to, consistently be in front of that person? Do you suggest that we continue to switch up who that person is? Or do you suggest that maybe there's five individuals that we can continue to be in relationship with for a prolonged amount of time? That's your best question yet. I believe that we should have multiple mentors in our life. Mm -hmm. And so for example, I got a great person who teaches me tennis in my backhand, but I'm not going to ask him about my financial advice. Uh, counsel, right? I'm not going to go to my accountant and talk about my speaking career. And I'm not going to talk to my speaking mentor about writing books. So I make sure I have at least five to eight different individuals who are experts in their chosen field of endeavor because they can give me insights and input from a direction that I wouldn't see myself. Great, great, great. Yeah, absolutely. So those are people that, now when you find those types of people, are you finding that those types of people are at the very tip top of the food chain or are those the types of people who, um, well, I suppose they might be. Because I guess we're talking about levels of where we particularly see ourselves and we go back to the concept of jumping at the front of the line. See, when I think about being able to spend time with my uh, one of my uh, 
somebody I really look up to. I want to spend time with Simon Sinek. I want to uh, have a phone call every now and then with him. I want to have a chance or have an opportunity to uh, catch each other at the at the beach house, you know, where we both vacation to, whatever that is. That's the type that I'm thinking about. But you're thinking about, well, just go ahead and give me some insight into that. I'm sorry. I'm stumbling over my words here. Yeah, again, I'm just a little confused. So I, I don't know what you're really asking me, but I will say this is that there's relationships begin with the first thing. Look, you don't just get married and have four kids. You start dating, you ask, it starts slow, right? You start with coffee and then you move your way up. It's the same thing as I'm explaining to you. So for example, if someone did a meme for me, got my cell phone and they came through and they followed and they did something, the chance of me staying in touch with them and building that relationship is pretty darn high. That's what I'm saying. It's like putting your foot through the door and then squeezing your head and then your body eventually until you become friends. You know, that's how it's so funny. When, when uh, I started in the speaking thing, Les Brown was my hero and I just wanted access to him. So what I did is exactly what I'm saying. This aren't just words. This is how I did it is I found him at an event. I had paid money to go. And then I just waited for him in the back of the area. And when he came out, I said, Mr. Brown, I want to be a great speaker like you. Will you please give me one nugget that I could do different to build my career? And he did. And then that was it. A month later, I hunted him down again. I said, Mr. Brown, I met you a month ago. I asked for one nugget. You told me how to hold the microphone. Instead of holding it here in my face, you said to hold it at the end so people could see my face and have a conversation. I applied it to my career. What should I do next, sir? Mm. What is the chance of him stopping everything, no matter what's going on, to talk to me at that moment? A hundred percent. And then from there, there, there. And now Les and I call each other years later and we're buddies and he baptized my son and did the toast at my wedding. So the whole thing is that you build a relationship with one step at a time. The biggest thing that steps out to me is that that first step is a transactional type of relationship. Why do you believe that that first step is a transactional type of relationship rather or transactional type of encounter rather than, uh, I guess when we went back to rather than, Hey, Les Brown, uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, I would love to, you know, get coffee sometime or, or I'd love to, to hear more about how it is you got started or, you know, why do you think that it's just that one transactional piece that gives us that foot in the door? Well, again, I'm going to go back to, if you just rewind this, eight minutes, it's going to say people don't want to go to coffee with you. They don't want to have dinner. They don't think because look, when we get into the industry of whether this or entertainment or whatever it is, our goal is if we can impact one person's life, we've made our job. Well, once you've done it a million times and then you have a fan base and following, our time gets limited and limited and limited of squeezing. Like so far, this is my fifth call today of you know, Zooms and I got four more scheduled. And so it's like, you only got so much time in the day. So where am I going to squeeze that time in where I, that's taking me from throwing the football and doing what I need to do for myself. So I'm very careful and cautious of how we do it. That is the reason why. And so sometimes by showing that you're willing to take an action, an actual step that separates you. I'll give you an example. If someone comes up to me and says, Hey, uh, you know, I'd like to meet with you or whatever the reason is. I, I, I will usually say, yes, now here's what I need you to do. Text me at 10, 10 a.m. on Tuesday, exactly Pacific Standard Time and say, I'm in. That gets rid of 99.9999% because it's an action step. And then if those people do, I say, great, I'll meet you Thursday for lunch, but I need you to bring two empty lobster shells and a baseball helmet. That gets rid of the other 99.99 because you gave them action steps. 
But the people that are willing to take the action, those are the ones you can work with. Unfortunately, and you know this, brother. I mean, you know this. How many times have you given so much great information, knowledge, and wisdom, and no one follow up with it? We got frustrated. Now, times that, times us, times a million, that's why we just don't do it. Because we don't mm. know if we're willing to take the action. No, that makes a whole lot of sense. And I think we're getting close to the end of our time together. So what I would love to hear, we talked a lot about uh, how we go out and how we uh, attack the world in terms of the type of lifestyle that we want to build. And we've really spent some time toward talking about, you know, our calling and developing that and meeting people and the relationship building portions of that. You mentioned something earlier that when you get done with all of this, you're going to get back to things that help build yourself. One of them being tossing around the ball. What are some more things that help build you? What are some things that you're doing that continue to help you show up the way that you show up on a regular basis? I always take notes. So uh, if you notice, well, you can't see my thing here, but all I got is notes, 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 notes. So what I'm doing is I'm constantly putting information in my brain and I write it down. And through each conversation, you learn something new. And I, then I go and apply that in my daily life to the things that make sense. I believe in the hand in the sand mentality. Look, everyone's going to give you their input, but what's going to work best for you? And I'm constantly moving and growing and understanding that I don't know everything. I'm just a student. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, half the stuff I've written in my books, I don't even agree with today because I wrote that 15 years ago and I've become more educated and I've learned from different experiences. So therefore, what I'd write about today, I'm a work in progress like anyone else. You know, the, the worst part about personal growth the pesky growth part. <laughs> We're always growing and learning. But if you can have the courage to say that and to stand into that, that's where the miracle lies. I like that. How do you relax? Throwing the football, hanging out. Because again, I'm killing two birds with one stone type of a thing where I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but I get to surround myself with amazing people along the way. My, uh, my right-hand person, vice president, his name is Billy kids amazing and so basically you know some people hire like a dog walker to walk your dog he's my human walker <laughs> he drags me out of this house and says it's football time it's frisbee time and i love it because i'm like you gotta go for a ride right and by doing that and staying active it keeps my brain open too that's really cool it's 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 a uh, i wouldn't call him an assistant but i would definitely say that that's that's like your your enthusiastic uh, version of uh, of what people may use, which is like a reminder on your phone or an alarm that says, "Hey, get this started." But it has a lot better yeah, impact. Exactly, and Billy is not an assistant; he's my vice president. He runs all the sales operations. Oh he's wow! Amazing young man. If you ever had a chance to get to know him, I, I seriously look him up on uh, Instagram. Follow him. Stay in touch. He is the brains behind our organization, so he's a good guy to know. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, I'll definitely make sure I get his last name uh, as soon as we're off of here. And really, that's the end of it there. I've gotten just about everything I think I can squeeze out of you. Uh, if we had more time, I think you'd be squeezing things out of me, if we're being completely honest. Uh, I have sincerely appreciated your time, Greg. Uh, I look forward to the uh, instances that we're able to get together. And I'll talk to you next time. I'll see you soon. Bye. Yes, sir. Bye. All right, guys, there you have it, Mr. Greg Reed. What did I say? He was a very fast-paced individual, a guy who no longer operates at that foundational level. He doesn't register with some of those things that we've overcome at a foundational level. That's why I titled this podcast, Doesn't Register, with Greg Reed. And that's because 
if you hadn't noticed, there were several instances throughout our conversation where he was like, I, I don't get it. You know, I'm not understanding how you're asking the question. You know, it's, it's just, it's simple. You know, it's basic. It's, it's foundational. And he's graduated past that. He's moved on to something that's no longer foundational, but it is now uh, the next level. You know, it's the next level up. It's the next level up. And I think that's something that that I'm going to have a takeaway from this particular conversation with Greg is that I think there comes a point where we have to realize that we can't let those things, those ways of thinking that we used to think about register with us anymore. We can't keep having the same conversations over and over and over again. I'm happy that Greg took it upon himself to pull me out of my comfort zone because it helped me realize that I had been asking a lot of the same questions of the same people. And there's nothing wrong with that. You get a lot of different answers, but at some point you start to get a lot of the same answers as well. And I don't think it's any uh, surprise that we've seen some very similar answers. And Greg actually answers some questions that I've asked of other guests before, and he answers it in a very clear cut way that I could apply across the board to the majority of the answers that we received and you know they only they only uh, differ you know in, in little minute ways based on how that particular individual approaches it and you know maybe that's some of what we need but maybe it's also time for us to advance ourselves to move on from foundational right at least that's how I'm feeling after this conversation and it's going to be something I ponder on for a little bit and think about how that looks for me what is what is allowing myself not to register with some of those old ways of thinking, with some of those foundational uh, topics that I've moved beyond, what does that look like for me? Maybe you're asking yourself the same question. But either way, I hope you have an amazing day. I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode, and I want to remind you to keep your eyes peeled for our Friday series that we have called A Father's Perspective. If you've been following along for any amount of time here lately, you know that I just recently became a father. Right in time for Father's Day. I know it was very amazing. My first Father's Day this year uh, got a lot of uh, great gifts. My son, being like two and a half weeks old, even got me a gift. Of course, his mother put it together and said it was from him. But really cool uh, gift that I got from him. It's a book with uh, illustrations of me and him with a story that goes along a little bit with my personality. And obviously, we're assuming a little bit of his personality, only being two and a half weeks old. But it was really, really awesome, a really great gift. And that's something that I'll cherish uh, for the rest of my life. You can hear more about that and more about what it's like to be a father who is continuing to create his peace with the process. And of course, I talk a little bit with my wife as well, and we talk a little bit about how it has been to be parents. We talk about the tips and the tricks, the failures and the successes. It's something that I'm passionate about, obviously, as being a first-time father, but it's something that I also set out with a goal in mind. My goal in mind is to do my best to be a um, role model is going to be kind of a strong word, but really just be somebody that is going to try his best to be an example of what being a consistent uh, father or parent can look like of what it looks like when we fail to be consistent what it looks like when we continue to put ourselves in a student mindset i released a quote the other day that i posted on instagram that says to become a father is to become a child all over again or something along those lines and i firmly believe that because i believe that if we have the mindset that once we become parents we are now going to have to adapt new habits. We're going to have to become consistent with things that it's it's about it's about the life of a, of another human being 
it has to do with how this person grows up, how this person walks throughout the world. If we fail to be consistent in some of these areas of parenthood, fatherhood, motherhood, then you know that person's life is at risk because of our failure to suck it up, continue to be consistent when it sucked, when it was hard. And that's something that I have given myself a goal to do my best to just be a, a good example of what of what a good father is. And I know many, 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 many people have that same goal. They want to do that. They want to be a good father for their children. I think taking it to the next level and saying being a good father to be an example to other fathers kind of gives it a different light. You know, maybe that's something that you've thought of as well. How does that look for you? Be sure to check out that Friday episode and let me know what you think about the father's perspective podcast. Keep your eye out for that. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Peace with the Process. We will see you Friday. Take care. 